Again, it's Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 28. Um, May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you done to do what, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, uh, we are continuing in our uh, Story of Jesus series, uh, which we are going through the entire book of Mark. And um, <laughs> so I don't know if you guys have ever seen, like, uh, on the internet, this thing, TLDR. You know what that means? Too long, didn't read. Yeah, so what it is is, like, uh, when there's, like, an internet post or, like, an article, and it's, like, too long for people... Uh, people used to say, like, TLDR, like, as a way of saying, like, hey, keep it shorter. But now what you see people, the, the, the most common use of TLDR I see now is when people just want a bottom line. They're kind of, like, anticipating that you probably didn't read the big wall of text that they just wrote. So they're like, okay, let me TLDR it for you, okay? So this is what, what it's about. And so I'm going to kind of do that <laughs> for you from last week, because I know that maybe there's some people who weren't here last week. And by the way, you can catch up on all the past sermons on our website, livinggraceministry.org. Uh, they're also uploaded by Mike White onto podcasts every week. Uh, and so that's a great way to catch up. But, um, you know, I, I think it is important for us to sort of see the whole context. And so you're not just kind of dropping into uh, uh, the, the book of Mark um, and just getting sort of a, a, a hand-picked story but you can see the whole story of Mark. And so uh, I, I'm going to TLDR it for you. And so kind of previously on the story of Jesus, I want to do like my announcer voice. Previously on the story of Jesus. Uh, so this is kind of what, what I want us to remember from last week, is Jesus did not come into this world to make us comfortable. He came to overthrow kingdoms. So I want to say that again. Jesus did not come to make you comfortable. He came to overthrow kingdoms. And so we were talking about how that very first sentence in the book of Mark shows us in three different ways that Jesus is not just coming as another prophet, as a teacher, but he is coming as a king. He is coming to assert authority. He is coming 
uh, to be this promised Messiah. He is Jesus the Christ, which means the anointed. It's the Greek way of saying the Messiah, the promised king who's supposed to rule forever. And that his rule, in a way, would even rival the rule of Caesar in many ways. In a different sense, not in a political sense. But he meant to come and reign. And so, friends, if we think that we can just have a comfortable Jesus that just sits alongside our life and makes us feel good about ourselves, that we just can live our life any way we want and just have a little bit of Jesus on the side, we are sadly mistaken. That is not the good news. And so, uh, with that sort of, uh, yeah, very blunt way of putting it, um, so, friends, uh, what does it mean, overthrow kingdoms? We're going to see that here as we pick up in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it said, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And friends, I know that when we read the gospels, maybe for some of you who've grown up in the church or you've heard uh, Christianese, you know, that's the Christian language, right? You've heard these kind of like Christianized way of talking about things where so much of our language gets coded. So many of the things that we say, they don't really mean perhaps what they originally meant because of all of the cultural baggage that we carry. And so what I wanted to do was to take a look at just these first two verses um, in a slightly different version. This comes from a book called Mark's Story, where they're trying to show us the whole Gospel of Mark as a, a cohesive story. And so this is the translation that they use. And looking at the original Greek, it's a pretty good translation. Um, and so let's take a look at this. And, and I put the ESV version that we read a couple times right above it so you can compare and contrast. Uh, but so this is the Marcus story version. Now after John was handed over to prison, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news about God. And friends, for me at least, when I read... Uh, scripture and it says the gospel, I like to just say good news. And the reason why is because we think it's gospel with the capital G, like it means something. There's this very specific meaning for good news where it could just mean good news, right? What does good news mean? It means news that is good, right? Instead of this very codified way of thinking about the gospel, right? So uh, it, it says, um, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news about God and saying the right time is fulfilled and the rule of God has arrived. Turn around and put faith in the good news. In other words, friends, I think that this is saying that this, what we just read, is the good news, right? The good news is that the time is fulfilled and the rule of God has arrived. So you'll notice that in this version, uh, they, they change the kingdom of God to the rule of God. And I think the reason why they do that is because we so often misunderstand what the kingdom of God is. What most of us uh, think the kingdom of God is, myself included, until recently, is I thought kingdom of God was just another way of saying heaven, right? Like, like it's just the place you go when you die, the pearly gates, right? It's like a palace floating on clouds, right? And there's like angels with harps, right? That's what I thought. But that's actually not what it means. Um, because remember, Jesus was coming as a Messiah. There was no sense that the Messiah was coming to institute the kingdom of God after you die. What is the kingdom of God? It is a place where there's going to be a king, 
right? And so that's what they thought the Messiah was. He is a king. And so king is going to establish a kingdom, just like King David, just like King Solomon, right? But this is the kingdom of God. And so in this version, it says the rule of God. So what is a kingdom, friends? A kingdom is a place where you rule. And by the way, we all have kingdoms. All of us want to have kingdoms from a very young age. I remember uh, when I first moved to uh, Ann Arbor, um, I, I, like, like I didn't have kids, I wasn't married, uh, but for some reason, I don't know why, but I was teaching a uh, women's Bible study uh, for, for the, the Korean ministry. So it was like women who couldn't speak English that well, and I, I don't speak Korean like hardly at all, and I was like this young single guy who was teaching a women's Bible study for uh, mostly Koreans. I, I don't know why, but anyways, a lot of them did have kids. And uh, I remember we were at like one of their, their, their houses and I, I was like walking to the bathroom and I passed by um, like, like uh, one of the, the person who was hosting us, their son's room. And the son I knew couldn't have been more than like four or five years old. And so his room is so cute. He had a sign up and he said, this is Andy's room. And, and underneath it, it was like in crayon, right? Like really bad writing. I think things were misspelled. But it said, no one but Andy allowed, right? He's like five years old, right? I was like, dang, dude. Like that kid, five years old, understood what a kingdom was. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a place where Andy gets to rule. It's Andy's rules, right? You can't come into the kingdom of Andy unless allowed by Andy, Right? That is the kingdom of Andy. It is a place where what he says goes, right? Where his authority, his dominion, Andy can influence his little kingdom however he wants. I bet if you were to go inside Andy's room, it would look the way Andy wants it to, not the way his mom. I mean, maybe the kingdom of mom and the kingdom of Andy frequently go to war, right? <laughs> maybe every day after uh, Andy goes to school, you know, mom invades the kingdom of Andy and like moves things around. Right? But I'm sure, you know, Andy, King Andy would come home and be like, Mom, did you move my, my toys? I want my Legos right there. Mom, did you take down my poster of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I don't know what kids are into anymore. But, <laughs> you know, like Andy wants things the way Andy wants them. Andy wants to influence the world the way Andy wants them to. So your kingdom, friends, is your little sphere of influence. And I do mean little. For most of us, our kingdoms are not that big. You know, maybe some guys, when they get older, they, they really dream about like, you know, I'm going to have a man cave, right? What is a man cave? It's a kingdom. It's a kingdom for the man to do whatever he wants, to make it however he wants it to be, right? Uh, by the way, I've learned as you get married, there's no such thing as a kingdom of Steve. It just doesn't exist, right? <laughs> but that's the way we want it in this world, right? So what does it mean when I say Jesus did not come to make you comfortable? He came to overthrow kingdoms. It means that if we are going to come to the kingdom of God, it is not saying that we come into the kingdom of God after you die. It means right now, who is in charge? Who has the authority and influence in your life to make all the changes, right? By the way, um, in this version, it says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I think that's one way to translate it, but I think a lot of us, we don't really understand that. We can think of that in so many different ways, but I mean, the most literal way is, what is at hand? 
It's something that's in your hand, right? The kingdom of God is where? Is it really far away? Is it like way up in the sky? Is it going to come many, many years later? No, it's right here. Actually, the Greek, it means the kingdom of God has arrived. And I don't know why they won't just translate it that way. I think it's because they're holding on to this notion that the kingdom of God is something very far away. But that's not the good news. The good news is God has come. Jesus has come as a king. We covered that in detail last week. But when has he come to rule? He come to rule like when you're 99 years old and then you finally like peacefully slip into you know, the sleep of death and then you wake up your eyes and I'm in the kingdom of God. He has come to bring the kingdom of God much sooner, friends. Right now, right? So in this version, it says the right time is fulfilled and the rule of God has arrived. It's here. Turn around and put faith in the good news. That's what repentance means. The, the literal word is repent. Turn your life. In other words, abdicate your kingdom. Give it up, right? You don't get to be in charge anymore. But now come and join this kingdom. And this is what it looks like. We get a very practical way of people giving up their kingdoms in the next story. So we're told, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So friends, check this out. You got Simon and Andrew, and they are casting a net into the sea. And then Jesus calls them, and then immediately they left their nets and followed him. Okay, friends, is there something weird about this to you? Something strange? I don't know, for me, I'm like, you didn't see if you caught any fish. You cast the net into the sea, and then all of a sudden you just have to go, right? That, that's so weird. That's like taking a test and not checking to see what your grade was. You know, that's like applying for a job and not, you know, like waiting around to see if you actually got the job. But all of a sudden you just leave town, right? You know, they're in the middle of this thing. It's an exciting thing for a fisherman. They cast out the nets. They have all their hopes and dreams. They're like, okay, this is going to be it. This is going to be the big one. Jesus is like, follow me. And they're like, okay. And they just leave. They leave the nets there. Maybe with fish. We'll never know. We'll never know because they don't check. They just go. And then we're told, Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Again, friends, in the middle of something. What are these guys doing? What are these fishermen doing? They're mending their nets. Can you imagine, you know, as a fisher person, that you're, you're catching fish and you have these big nets, and you know, there might be so much strain from all the fish in them that the nets frequently will break or they'll fray. And so if you want to continue your livelihood as a fisher person, you got to fix your nets, right? Because what do you do, um, or you know, how good are you going to be at catching a fish if there's big holes in your net, right? They're all going to slip out through the holes, Right? And so here they are, they're fixing their nets. Have you ever been in the middle of a project that's not done? You know, you're trying to fix something. 
You know, you're trying to fix like that paper that you've been working on. You're trying to fix that project. And it's so frustrating. You ever have someone call you in the middle of one of these projects? Be like, bro, girl, whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Dude, hey, friends, (laughs) let's go out. Let's go out. Let's have a good time. Let's go watch a movie. And you're like, I can't. I can't. Why? I'm in the middle of something. I got to finish this. It's going to drive me crazy. My nets are broken. Right? I'm in the middle of this. This is very intricate work. I got to make sure these nets are all mended together. I'm in the middle of fixing it. Don't bother me. You ever like that? And here we see they're not done. They're not done fixing their nets. They're in the middle of this project. Jesus says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Boom. They drop it and they go. Their dad is still in the, the boat, right? Their dad's like, what the heck? You, those nets ready yet? Hello? <laughs> Where are you guys going? And they're like, who is that you're going with? It's so weird, right? I remember, um, you know, I've heard people preach on this, and I've even preached this too, that maybe the reason why they leave is because Jesus gives this compelling vision of what their lives can be. You know, there are other stories where there's hints that maybe the fishermen that Jesus called were not perhaps the greatest fishermen in the world. There's like stories of them not catching anything. There's stories of them like they're washing their nets because they gave up for the night. You know, that's not in the Gospel of Mark, but, you know, there's a sense that maybe he isn't calling the cream of the crop. You know, the the number one fisherman in, in, in all of Judea. You know, but he's calling just ordinary dudes who aren't very good at their jobs. And he's saying, hey, you like fishing for fish? Come with me, you'll fish for people. This is more important. This is bigger. I don't know. We don't know this, but maybe they had heard Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God, a new rule that is coming now. And they have this sense, okay, you know, I'm a Jewish person. I've grown up hearing about, dreaming about the coming of the Messiah. Somebody who would institute a new kingdom for all time. And they're like, okay, let's be a part of this. And that's why they leave. Because they have this compelling vision for what life can be. And friends, I've got to tell you, when I was reading this passage, uh, this is just my confession. And this is part of the reason why I was excited and a little scared of preaching completely through the Gospel of Mark. Because I'll give you a little um, insight into the life of a preacher. Is that as a preacher, the most frightening thing to do is to preach through an entire book, verse by verse, front to cover. You know why? Because if I preach like on just like a subject, right? Like I have a theme, I can just pick around. I can pick like the best scripture passages, right? Be like, oh, that's a good one. Oh, that one hits me right there. You ever see like sermons? I'm guilty of this too. It's like, oh, we're reading from John chapter 1, 1 through 7, and 10 through 14. You're like, okay, what was in 8 through 9? Why didn't you want to preach on that? Ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You just, just, just put your thumb over those verses, okay? Just don't worry about it, right? All the challenging stuff, all the stuff that doesn't get our juices flowing, all the things that don't excite us, we can just skip over that. And this is my confession. Next week's sermon, I've been looking forward to it. It's about healing and man, I can preach on healing all day long. Like, Jesus wants to heal all of us. Mmm, that's good. Yeah, I need healing. I love healing. I'm so excited about that. And then I'm like, Jesus comes to make us fishers of men. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. 
I wasn't getting excited about that. I'm just being honest. You know, I looked at this and I'm like, oh, man. You know, it's the beginning of the year. I want people to get excited. I want them to have a sermon they can really sink their teeth into. And you know what I was thinking this past week as I was just spending time with God was, you know, that excitement of the disciples when Jesus says, come, I will make you fishers of men. I haven't been experiencing that a lot lately. You know, something that like jolts me out of bed in the morning. I'm like, woo, let's go. Let's make disciples. Yeah. Let's bring about the kingdom of God. It's going to be good. There have been times like that in my life. That's not been lately. There just haven't been like, you know, there have been times where, don't get me wrong, it's been good in my times of prayer, but there have been times where it's just so good. Or the things I'm experiencing in life, I, I have these like God moments, right? Like where you're like, oh my gosh, that was God. That was crazy. What? Mind-blowing. I've been, been getting a lot of those lately. I wonder if the disciples are like, man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be so good. You know, let's go be fishers of people instead of just fish. Fish are just, we see the same fish, they're smelly. Right? I'm sick of that. Let's do something new. You know, what does that look like for us to go fishing for people? I want to tell you how a lot of churches go fishing for people. Um, th- this is a, a picture of Saddleback Sam. Have you guys heard of Saddleback Church? It's in California. Rick Warren, very well-known pastor. Uh, he, he wrote a book called uh, The Purpose Driven Church. Now, this is really dated. Look at this picture. Man, this guy, he's got a cell phone. Now, by the way, Saddleback was founded in the 80s, right? He's got a cell phone and a pager, right? <laughs> so in the 80s, this is like, there's only like three options here. Either the dude is super rich, he's a doctor, or he's a drug dealer. Those are the only options in the 1980s. It wasn't like now, where everyone has a cell phone, and they're just giving these things away, right? But this is the 1980s, you can tell, a little bit older. But what Saddleback Sam was, is that when Saddleback Church sat down, they're like, okay, all right, we want to attract people. We want to be fishers of people. So what kinds of people do we want? Who's in our community? Who do we want to bring? Who do we want to tailor our messages and everything in our church is going to be purpose-driven. We're going to be, yeah, yeah, purposes of God, but also the purposes of bringing who we want to bring to the church. So let's sort of cast a model, right? Let's let's put up a sketch. They even had a picture, right? There's a picture of Saddleback Sam. This is the kind of person they want to bring to their church, right? And so you can see here the likely Mr. South Orange County, right? And so uh, there's different things here. He is well-educated. He likes his job. He likes where he lives. Health and fitness are high priorities for for himself and his family. He'd rather be in a large group than a small one. He is skeptical of organized religion. He prefers the casual and informal over the formal. He is overextended in both time and money. And they they sort of outline what Saddleback Sam looks like. And by the way, they also had Saddleback Samantha, right? They also had a woman, right? But they're like, okay, okay, not everyone will fit this, but... If you want to go fishing, you got to know what you're looking for. And so they tailored everything. You know, they make decisions, like looking at the, the, the sanctuary, like, hmm, would Saddleback Sam like this? Is this the kind of place Saddleback Sam would feel comfortable worshiping? Right? Everything was tailored to that. Now, you might think like, oh, this is so outdated. People don't do this anymore. I went to visit a, a church um, in this area that's, that's been growing, growing like crazy. And uh, I, I met the pastor, and, and I asked him like, oh, hey, you know, I'd love to hear about your church. And he told me that he was a pastor at a struggling church downtown. Not many people coming. And they were going to close their doors. They're like, oh my gosh, we got to change something. 
And so I don't know if they read Purpose Driven Church. I have a feeling that they did. Because what they were like, they're like, okay, who do we want to attract? We need to laser focus our church, the message, branding, everything. And what they decided is they're like, we want young professionals. We want young professionals. And so they tailored everything in their service. Like even the way the guy preaches, like everything, the music style, all this stuff is designed to bring, a, uh, to bring young professionals to the church. So maybe it's not Saddleback Sam. It's like Ann Arbor Aaron. I don't know, right? They want to bring Ann Arbor Aaron, you know? And they've just tailored everything to that purpose. And so you'll even see like advertisements on buses and stuff. And they'll have a picture, right? And they'll have a picture of a well-to-do, attractive Usually white, not always, not always white, but like, like a, a young professional, right? They're like, this is, like, like you know, they're smiling. They're on the, the bus, you know? Come to this church, right? Now, friends, before we get too uh, critical of other churches, I wonder, do we have an LGM Elliot? <laughs> an LGM Emily? I mean, friends, I, I, I don't want to get too crazy here, but if you just take... Two seconds to look around our church. Everyone just kind of looks the same. Or very similar. Not exactly the same, right? Some of you guys are looking around now. You know what I mean, right? (laughs) Not to stare into people's souls here, but... um, Friends, this is something that I've had to ask myself. When we go fishing, what do we mean? Who are we fishing for? By the way, this is Old Testament fishing. But this is a a more modern uh, take on this, but they fish with nets. Someone casting a net, right? You ever fish with a net before? Um, so so I, I went fishing, like kind of, uh, a few years back when I was a youth pastor in Maryland. We go to the Chesapeake Bay every year. I take my discipleship boys there, and we go crabbing because we love Maryland blue crabs. Mm, it's like my favorite thing. So good, right? And, and we would bring pots there. We would catch the crabs, eat them there, and then drive back. It would be like all night long. I don't know how... Like, these were youth group kids. I don't know how the parents let me do this, but it was so much fun. But the crazy thing was, like, like we would just have a piece of chicken just dangling in the ocean, right? And then we're just waiting. If we feel a tug, we just get a net and just, and just scoop it up, right? There is nothing that says, when you got a piece of chicken, that a crab is going to be there. We caught all kinds of weird things. All kinds of crazy things. We caught like an alligator snapping turtle, almost broke the net. Like it was huge. And we didn't know what to do with it. It was like crawling on the dock and we're like running away. Like, oh my gosh, it's slow. It's a turtle. But I don't know. We were running, right? So scared. Like we saw these like blue flashes in the ocean, you know, and like what the heck is that? It looked like little LED lights, right? And then we found out what it was because one time, you know, like feel that little tug and you get the net and we had this electric eel just right and it's like wriggling on the again we ran we were very scared boys right we just ran it's like lighting up and flashing my goodness when you go fishing you don't know what you're gonna catch you cast a wide net you don't know what's gonna come through so what kinds of of people were they gonna get and and when you look at the story uh the, the the way it goes is right after this where is the first place jesus takes them it's kind of a fake out in many ways because Jesus goes into all kinds of towns, all kinds of places, right? But Jesus takes them to church, right? Let's take a look. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Okay, this is Jewish church, right? 
That, that's the Jewish version of church. So they go to the synagogue. And so probably the disciples are like, makes sense. We're going to go fishing for people. So where are you going to go fish for people? At church, at synagogue, where we're going to get good Jews, right? We're going to get the best. We're going to get the people who are faithful, who are dressed up in all the right clothes, and they have all the right things to say, and they're so nice, and they're so put together, right? And then this happens, right? So he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. By the way, friends, what kind of word is authority? Guess what? Kingdom word, right? Authority. He has authority. He has the rule. Um, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are, who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, friends, just imagine. You're the new disciples, right? You're like, oh, this guy, mm, he comes preaching a good message. Kingdom of God is near. This is good. All right. Okay, let's go, th- go for a test drive. Who are we going to attract? Let's go fish for people. Goes to a synagogue, right? And then while they're there, someone just starts yelling and screaming and seems possessed. I don't know. Maybe he's foaming at the mouth. It's, it's crazy, right? It's a crazy, crazy thing. And by the way, why is this happening? Why does this unclean spirit cry out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Why does the unclean spirit think that Jesus has come to destroy them? Why? Because what does a spirit do? What does an unclean spirit do? We're going to see this so many more times, so I'm not going to go into too much detail here. But the spirits control people, don't they? They control them. So there's people, they, they have like fits, and they can't move. Or, or they're, they're just like ostracized from everyone because they have these episodes. They can't control their bodies because the spirit is in control. And Jesus comes with authority, with a new kind of reign and kingdom, with not an unclean spirit, but the Holy Spirit, right? I mentioned this last week, and it was just kind of a throwaway line, but I want you to remember this. What does a spirit do? It leads. What does the Holy Spirit do? It leads in a holy way, right? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the ultimate spirit. It has come to rule and reign. So unclean spirit knows what time it is. Time is fulfilled, right? It knows its time is, is, is up. It's very soon. You know, Jesus come to reign everything. They're like, yeah, have you come to destroy us? What the heck, Jesus? What are you doing? And if you're the disciple, are you thinking like, oh, this is really cool? Or are you like, what in the world? What is going on? What is this? Is this Saddleback Sam? <laughs> is this, you know, Jewish George? I don't know who, who they were thinking they were going to attract. You know, this is a crazy, crazy thing. And friends, you know, by the way, the next few chapters, we're going to see story after story after story of Jesus driving out unclean spirits, people who look crazy to their modern world. People like, like they would just cast them out of the, uh, the house sometimes. You know, they'd just be wandering the streets because nobody knew what to do with these people. Nobody wanted to be in community with these people. Or the sick, lepers. People that, that again, have been cast out from their societies, from their communities, because the communities don't know what to do with them. 
oh, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to be around them. And this is where Jesus goes. Come, I will make you fishers of men. By the way, most of these people will be possessed and will be sick, will be outcasts to society, will be sinners. You ready? Let's go. (laughs) That's who he's talking about. And so, friends, uh, 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 you know, all of this stuff, I have to be honest, I think part of the reason why I wasn't that excited about preaching this message is because I think there's a part of me, if I'm being really honest, I don't want to be a fisher of people like this. There have been times in my life where I really did. And I would pray like these prayers. There was a couple of years ago, I used to pray this prayer every single day. You, you can see my journal if you want. And almost every single day, I would write these words. Jesus, who do you want me to love today? And that would be the end of my prayer. I remember a few years ago at LGM, like, like before the school year starts, you guys remember we do like prayer meetings and stuff? And almost every year, just like out of habit, I, I have people pray this prayer. And a couple years ago, I think I really meant it. And it's this idea, Jesus, who do you want to send to our ministry? Whoever it is. Disrupt our plans. Send us whoever you want, right? Even if they're difficult or even if it's not who we want. Lord, send those people. And I have to be honest, the past few years, I haven't really prayed that prayer with a lot of conviction. And I'm sitting here, you know, in my comfortable house, right? And, and, and I'm praying and, and I'm reading the scripture. I'm like, ah. Oh. I preach about fishers of men. I'm not excited about it. And I'm like, oh, by the way, how come I, I haven't really experienced like, a lot of like, you know, huge God moments lately? And it just so happened that I happened to be like, uh, reading this book. Uh, so when I read books, by the way, uh, the reason why I was pointing to my ears is because I, I listen to audiobooks. That, that's my way of reading. So it's kind of confusing when I say listening to a book, reading a book. But anyways, I was listening to this audiobook and it was a book that I hadn't, like, like I kind of stopped in the middle of it. I hadn't picked it up for a while, and I was just looking for a book. And I happened to just start it. And it was this woman, it's called The Broken Way. This, this woman, Ann Voskamp, was talking about how the way of Jesus is a broken way. How we're supposed to give of ourselves, break ourselves to give ourselves to other people. And I, I was listening to this story about how one day Ann Voskamp's uh, brother just showed up on her doorstep with a homeless man. And said, Anne, that this man, uh, he's been through some really hard times. He needs a place to stay. Can he stay here? And Anne's like, ah, I don't know. I have kids. I have little kids. Really? Really? But as she's like, you know, she, like, and part of the book is like she writes a cross. She puts a cross on her hand every day or on her wrist to remind her of the broken way, the way of Jesus. And so she, she's about to like say no to her brother and she looks down at the cross and she's like, yeah, 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 he can stay here. You know, and she's just writing about how the way of Jesus, this sort of radical hospitality, welcoming the stranger, the other, even when it's not convenient for you, even when sometimes it puts you at risk. You know, and I was reading that and I, I, I was, all this stuff is going on in me. I remember um, talking to one of my good pastor friends this week and just confessing to him, I'm having a really hard time with this sermon. And, and I'm not really sure why, but as I was talking, I realized 
The reason why is because I stopped praying that prayer. Jesus, who do you want me to love today? Who do you want to send? A couple years ago, uh, maybe it's it more than a couple years ago, I prayed that prayer and Jesus listened <laughs> and he answered it. And, you know, I, I don't want to get into too much detail on the people who started coming, but there are people who had, they, they had problems and they had things that were very difficult for them. You know, they, some of them had substance issues, right, drug problems. Some of them had mental health issues. And I would get phone calls, you know, two o'clock in the morning asking for money. Um, I, I would talk to parents, frantic parents, saying, I don't know where my kid is. And these are people who had no connection to our ministry. They literally came in off the street. And I'm like, God, I, I know I prayed that prayer, but really? <laughs> you know? And, and friends, I, I just have to be honest. I, I, I was talking to one of the leaders, and I was like, man, I don't know if I should put this part in the story. But it's the truth. It's that some of the, some of the people in our ministry, they didn't know what was going on with these people. And, and some of the ways that they talk to these people or, you know, they'd be flaky. They wouldn't show up for events. You know, sometimes people didn't understand. Sometimes people weren't the kindest. And there was a part of me that just wanted to say, like, you have no idea what their story is. Remember, we prayed for this. We prayed for this. And it was tough. And friends, I'm not going to pretend like the stories always ended perfectly. You know, they didn't always end with a happy ending. You know, but I got to tell you that it was a very challenging time for my faith. It was a time where God stretched me and I had to pray like I, I so often don't pray, like I've never before. There's one time I was praying that earnestly, God, who do you want me to love today? And this guy just calls me out of the blue and says, hey, I ran into someone who goes to your church. She said, you might be able to help me. There was a man who claimed that his family got stranded. He got in a car accident. He needed some money for a place to stay that night. And, and I'm not going to go into the whole story, but it ended with me and this man. Um, it happened to be an African-American man, uh, older, um, out on the street on Ann Arbor, and we were hugging each other, crying and praying for each other. And I remember getting back into my car because I didn't want to go. I was like, what if this man murders me? You know, like, like, no one knows where I'm going. I, like, wrote notes on my phone. If you find this phone, right? You know, I was, like, all freaked out. And I remember driving home and praying. I had tears in my eyes, and I was like, God, do it again. Lord, I want more of this because this is where I see your work. This is what I want our ministry to be. But it's hard. It's really hard, isn't it? You know, maybe there's, uh, um, you know, some of you thinking, gosh, see, I'm not ready for that. You know, like, like in the story, there's a man who falls over in the synagogue and he's like convulsing, right? And, and like, I'm sure everyone is there like, what do you do? I'm sure they felt really uncomfortable. They didn't feel in control. They didn't feel like their kingdoms were enough in that moment. And, and I'm reminded that the disciples, they're in the middle of things. They didn't have their lives all put together. They didn't have a chance to, to fix their nets the way they wanted them to be. And yet they responded to that call. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
How does this story end, brothers and sisters? It ends with Jesus taking that authority and saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Friends, make no mistake. When we go into kingdom work, you're going to come up into things that you cannot do. You're going to come to the end of yourself. And your kingdom is not going to be enough. But God's kingdom is. His spirit is stronger, more powerful, more holy than all the unclean spirits. It may be something you don't understand, but Jesus absolutely has the authority to drive all those things out. That's what we have to lean into. There are moments, you know, I can't even tell you. I mean, it's, it's so hard to describe to you. I don't always get to see the end of the story. But sometimes there's somebody who, who left for a while or, you know, um, you know, just dropped off the face of the earth. I don't know if this person is in prison. I don't know if this person is in a, dead in a ditch. There's, there's one Sunday where one of these people just came in through the door and just sat in the back. And, and I think I was preaching at the time and I just wanted to start weeping. None of you would have understood. You just would have been like, what is going on? You know, we were just doing the call and response thing you know, like we do every Sunday. What was Pastor Steve doing? I, I couldn't tell you then and I still can't tell you all the details for us. But I know that God's kingdom is going. I know it's not just coincidence. But friends, sometimes we think we got to go far away. Oh, we got to go to different countries. We, we got to go out to be these fishers of people. And I'm telling you, it can start right here. But it must start with this simple prayer. And that prayer is simply, would you send me who you want me to love? Who do you want me to love today? Can that be your prayer? Can we open our eyes to see the harvest? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Jesus is wanting to use you to love people. You may not have all the words, but remember, Jesus is the one who has the authority. You may not have all the power. Jesus has all the power. He will guide you. He will be with you. It's going to be a longer work. It's going to be more difficult than I can describe at times. It's not always going to be comfortable. Remember, Jesus did not come to make you comfortable. He came to overthrow kingdoms. But friends, I imagine at the end of that day, I don't think the disciples were like, man, church was boring today. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they had nothing to complain about in that department. Oh my goodness, we saw the kingdom of God. Yeah, it freaked us out a little bit. Yeah, it made us incredibly uncomfortable. But this is what we signed up for. Can I have the praise team come up? Friends, maybe some of you, you're just, there's so many thoughts going through your mind. and Like, oh my gosh, I feel so uncomfortable. Friends, I understand. I understand that feel totally and completely. And just as your pastor, I'm confessing to you, even subconsciously, I have slipped into those habits of thinking, Man, 
yeah, I know I prayed that prayer, God send me who you want me to, to love, but maybe you can just send me people who are just really easy to love. But friends, there is kingdom work. There are people in your midst. I know this world, you know this world, you know there are people broken, you know there are people needing the hope, the peace, the love, the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you. Um, my, my, my friend uh, that I spoke to this past week, uh, when I told him that prayer, you know, Jesus, who do you want me to love? You know, he just said, bro, it's a dangerous prayer. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I want to ask you to pray a dangerous prayer. Would you do that with me? If you're not ready, maybe you can just pray, God, can you help me to get to the point to pray this dangerous prayer? Maybe you can just confess, God, I'm not ready to pray the dangerous prayer. But maybe you are. Maybe we can just simply ask God, God, who do you want me to love today? Send me somebody. Open up my eyes. Maybe it's going to be someone in my dorm. Maybe it's going to be someone on the street. Maybe it's someone at church. Maybe it's going to be someone downstairs in the fellowship hall. Maybe it's going to be someone in my car driving home to campus. Maybe it's going to be someone in my office. Maybe it's someone in my family. Lord, send me the person you want me to love. I want to be a fisher of people. I want to see your kingdom come. I believe, God, that with you, even though I may be scared out of my mind, you have all the authority. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven to make on this earth the rule and reign that you desire in heaven. God, where we can be loved the way that we will be loved in heaven. We will treat one another with the love of Christ the way we will have in heaven. Where there will be belonging for every person. There will be community and meaning and purpose and healing. We can have all of that. And you want to send us out, God, to love people, to be with them, to represent your kingdom, God, to a lost and weary world. So Jesus, can you make it happen? Jesus, this is our prayer. Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. God, of my ways of just wanting to live in my comfortable kingdom and just to have a little Jesus come alongside. Lord, but I'm realizing more and more what I truly want is your kingdom to reign, your way. So Jesus, let it be so. Send us who you want us to love. In Jesus' name, amen.